This morning we're talking about inspiration, and we are, of course, there are, I checked some flyers still on the uh, foyer table, the, the, what is that door, the east door uh, foyer table, of the series that we're going through this year. We're doing Words of Life, and we've, I've broken it into nine different series of important words in or about the Bible, as we'll see today, in may not be an appropriate word, but uh, these words that are important to our faith, and we're sort of walking through our faith. And we last week finished up our series on God with a study of the word spirit. And it's an important word to lead into a study of inspiration. Uh, you'll notice if you've been following along on the flyer and preparing that I swapped inspiration and truth because inspiration, the word itself, really needs to be studied after studying the Spirit. And we'll talk about why that is in a minute. The words inspiration and inspire do not actually appear in the Bible. Now, depending on the version you use, <clears throat> I typically use the English Standard Version, uh, which does not have inspiration at all. Uh, there is one place where the word inspired is used, but that is not in the sense of biblical inspiration. It is in the Old Testament when uh, it is in the sense of craftsmanship, that there is an inspired craftsman who is doing, building uh, holy religious things for the Lord. Uh, so the idea of inspiration, the word itself, the Bible is inspired, you, you've heard that probably before, that word doesn't appear in the English Standard Version. Now, it does appear in the King James, I think, of this verse, which uh, the verse that we are sort of focusing this lesson on, 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 17. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Uh, the sacred writings connected to the word holy that we talked about several weeks ago. Holy, set apart for divine purpose. In this particular uh, case, it is writings that are set apart for divine purpose, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's our word. All scripture is breathed out by God. In the King James, I think it does have inspired, but that word does not appear in most of the other translations. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This word really is better translated breathed out because it is connected to, and I'm going to get a little bit technical this morning, uh, our word last week that we looked at, spirit, pneuma, breath or wind, which in their context they use also for spirit. This is theonoustos, which nobody cares. It's an interesting word. But here's what's interesting about this word. It's possible that Paul's use of it here is the earliest we have of all extant Greek literature. What do I mean by that? Extant Greek literature is writings we have that still exist. Uh, there are obviously they wrote stuff that got destroyed and we don't have it anymore. We don't know about it. But of writings that we've gathered about Greek literature and Greek writing, this might be the earliest use of this word. He might be the first one to use it in all of under, our understanding of Greek literature. This word, theonoustos. It's possible he made up this word for this particular instance. Well, we don't know that for sure, but it is a possibility. What does this word mean? Literally, Breathed out by God. God breathed. Theo, we've talked about theos, God, the Greek word for God, and neustos, which connected to pneuma, right? To breathe. 
So literally, God breathed. This is the correct translation. And, and typically, sometimes people have translated this inspire, but that's backwards. We translate it inspire because we understand that that's what inspired means. But really, Paul is saying that Scripture comes from the breath of God. He breathes it out. And again, very closely connected to the idea of the Spirit. If we understand that spirit, breath, and wind, and, and connected to uh, the idea of our breath, the breath that literally gives life to our bodies, right? We, we breathe in and out, and that's what gives us life. And, of course, the more deeper meaning of the spirit giving us life, our spirits, of course, animating our bodies, but God's spirit living in us and giving us life. So when, God, when Paul is saying that, that, that spirit is breathed out by God, the, right, the readers would have no possibility but to understand and connect that to the idea of the Spirit coming from the Spirit of God. And of course we understand then that this is intrinsically tied to the concept of inspiration in the very definition of the word. And I don't think it's a coincidence the link between how we speak, literally when I'm speaking to you, breath is passing over my vocal cords and that's what comes out, I'm shaping the breath in my throat. The breath that comes from my lungs comes out through my throat, and that is the words that I'm speaking. And again, we see that in how God speaks. His spirit passing through humans, given shape by the author, the, the uh, knowledge of the author, his, his language, and, and his understanding. There's a reason that John's writing reads differently than Paul's writing, which reads differently than Luke's writing. Obviously, the Spirit is allowing the author to shape some measure of how the, the words are going to be shaped. But the Spirit is using the human to give us God's Word. And of course, Peter says this, in another place, 2 Peter 1.16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And when, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, uh, in his baptism, and of course he said something very similar at the transfiguration, listen to him. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fu fully confirmed, to which we would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and morning, the morning star rises in your hearts. I want to pause there for a minute. The prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. What's the dark place? Well, he says the day dawns. When the day will dawn, that's when Jesus returns. Right now, we're in the dark place. We're in the physical realm where we are not fully with God, we do not fully understand things, we are stumbling about in our lives, trying to find purpose and meaning, trying to find some semblance of, of, of higher purpose in our lives. And what is this? The thing that, the lamp that shines, we're, we're struggling about in the dark and we see a light and we instinctively go to it. What is it? The prophetic word. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a foundational idea to our faith, isn't it? Because we understand and, and, and trust that the things that we are told in Scripture are true. What does it mean then? 
how does the Spirit carry people along? Now, Paul uses the idea of breathed, God breathed. Peter says carry, he, men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. A couple of ways this happens, at least the ways that the Spirit tells us this happens. Of course, the most obvious, the most, I think, basic inspiration through dictation, that is the Spirit literally tells the people what to say, and then they say it. Of course, the prophets are full of this. We'll read a couple of these. Jeremiah 7, 1 and 2. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand, uh, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim this word and say, and then he goes on to say what he's going to say. Uh, Ezekiel, a similar thing in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 6.1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face towards the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them and say, and, and God's just telling the people what to say, right? He's just telling the prophets what to say at this point. Uh, many of the prophets directly received either through vision or some cases more conversation, right? Their message from God. And they said it and they wrote it down and that's what we have. Now, there are other ways though that the Spirit has carried along people to write Scripture, to give us Scripture. One of the more interesting ones is Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 1, 1 and 2, of course, we have this conversation between Habakkuk and God. He's basically arguing with God. God, how come you're letting this stuff go on? The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Habakkuk, and we can think about others like Job, Job and his friends. They're having a conversation around a campfire. Some of the stuff that they're saying is clearly wrong. They're having arguments with and about God, where some sides of the conversation are clearly not inspired. But God's answers, of course, are. And Habakkuk, as he writes down these things for us, and for his, well, really for the people of Israel, and then, of course, we have it later, I'm not sure Habakkuk's questions were inspired. I think Habakkuk's just asking questions that he's, he's upset about, things he doesn't know. And God gives him his divinely inspired answer. And then, I, of course, God makes sure that Habakkuk writes it down all correctly. What about Luke? Luke 1, 1 through 3. He seems to be more involved, not really directly inspired in the sense of God just tells him what to say, but Luke says there's something else going on here. Inasmuch as others, uh, many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, that's what Peter was saying, right? We, we, we saw Jesus. Luke, maybe probably not, but he's talking to them. And ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you. Luke clearly does extensive research. He interviews. He talks to people. He probably gets a lot of it from Paul. He probably gets a lot of it from Peter. Of course, he's traveling with Paul for quite a bit. He's on the ship with Paul. We talked about that in our study of Acts. Maybe the Spirit inspired his research. Have you ever thought about that? The Spirit doesn't just have to inspire what Luke writes. Maybe the Spirit nudged him, hey, Luke, you need to talk to Paul. Luke, you need to go talk to this guy. Luke, you need to go find this account. As he is researching and trying to understand to give an orderly account of the things that happened, the Spirit doesn't just have to work in literally him writing the things on the paper because we know, of course, that God's Spirit is much more powerful than that. Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 12. Besides being wise, the preacher... Now, I want to pause and note for a minute. The preacher is probably Solomon, and he says some stuff in Ecclesiastes that really do not fit with what the rest of the Bible says. He says some stuff that is just plain wrong about death and about life after death and about the meaning of life. Solomon is, is struggling and he's striving and he's, he's pondering, and 
it comes to the end of Ecclesiastes 12, and it seems like there's this third person. It's not the preacher anymore, but rather somebody has compiled the words of the preacher. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arguing, arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and nail, like nails firmly fixed or the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end and much study is weariness of the flesh. This is probably the case with several places in the Old Testament. We can think about the end of Deuteronomy when somebody writes about Moses' death. Well, that's not Moses. Moses is dead. Even though Moses wrote most of Deuteronomy. Here again, we see that even though Solomon is struggling and he's saying some things that he doesn't understand and he's, he's in some ways despairing because he has lost his purpose in God and so he's lamenting, ah, the animals and the man, we all die and we all go to the same place. He says that in Ecclesiastes. We know that's clearly not true. But the Spirit could have easily inspired a future editor. Somebody to compile these sayings of the preacher. Somebody to gather these specific preachings as a warning for us. This is what happens when you don't follow God's purpose. This is the madness that will ensue if you go down this path of reasoning. Might the Spirit have inspired somebody to collect these specific things? So we understand ultimately the Spirit of God used many methods to cause people to write what he wanted written. It's important for us to understand that. As you're studying Scripture, there are things in the Bible that are not true. Inspiration only says that somebody actually said those things. They said them, again, classic example is the study of Job. Job's friends are saying a bunch of stuff that's not true. Does that mean the Spirit endorses what they says? No. That means the Spirit inspired the writer to record those incorrect things that were said so that we would understand that they're wrong. And as they're arguing and they're debating and Job's friends, they keep saying, oh, Job, you must have sinned. Oh, Job, you must be a horrible person because all this bad stuff happened to you. Oh, Job, why don't you just admit how bad you are? And Job keeps saying over and over, no, I didn't do anything bad. I didn't sin. I I'm not a bad person. Why is this happening to me? And we have this collected argument. Inspiration would tell us the argument really happened. But ultimately, we know that some of those guys were wrong. And their words were recorded for us so that we would understand their error. Ultimately, the promise of Jesus still stands supreme. And this is the crux of inspiration. John 16, 12 through 15. I still have, this is, of course, Jesus talking. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears from me, he, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. How did the Spirit declare the things that are to come? Even if we don't understand the exact method, and we understand some of the methods, he just told people what to say. He told people who to talk to. He probably guided Luke in his research. He guided Habakkuk in his argument. He guides editors to gather certain writings for us. But do you trust the promise of Jesus? When he tells, in this case, the apostles, 
the Spirit will come and he will guide you into all the truth. And he will tell you what to say. And your words will not be from you. They will be from the Spirit. And Paul clearly seems to think that this comes to pass. 1 Corinthians 14, 36-38. Was it from you that the word of God came? He's talking about some sin that they have in their lives. Some things that they're doing that are not good. And we understand that that comes from what? That comes when people put their own words on the same level as God's word. That's where sin comes. When corruption and difficulty and struggle come because we put our ideas on the level of God's ideas. Was it from you that the word of God came? Are you the only ones that it has reached? And what's the implied answer? Of course not. Don't be dumb. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or is spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. He's not recognized by who? Well, you might say by Paul. But if the things that he's writing to the people are a command of the Lord, if Paul doesn't recognize him, the deeper implication is what? That the Lord will not recognize these people. The final conclusion to any discussion of inspiration. These words, compiled by humans, written by humans, using the language of humans, using the thought patterns of humans, do not come from humans. These words come from Yahweh, the great I am. And thus, what is the result when we reject these things, written by humans, but we reject them, what happens? We are not rejecting humans. We are rejecting Yahweh. When we reject what God has said, when we reject the teachings of Scripture, what does Paul say? All Scripture is breathed out, literally from the breath of God. When we reject the things that have been written for us, we are not rejecting people. We are rejecting our Creator. And like Solomon, as we conclude, what will be the end result of that? Like Solomon, when we reject the inspired words of Scripture, we will end up in madness and despair and chaos and worry and anxiety and distrust and ultimately meaningless. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the preacher. All is useless and striving after the wind. Even though Solomon was the wisest person who ever lived, once he rejected the absolute truth of God's word, he lost any benefit that that wisdom would have given him. Just like we will lose our meaning and purpose when we reject God's word.